Hello and welcome to Prosecco Party Podcast, the fun-loving talk show that gives you expert interviews and unsolicited advice to help you look good and feel fantastic. My name is Isabel, engineer by day and podcaster by night. And I'm Lindy, serial entrepreneur and health enthusiast. We have a great show for you guys today because we're talking to a fellow serial entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur, and a boss babe. Lourdes Juan is the founder of Soma Hamam and Spa, Hive Developments, Leftovers Foundation, Fresh Roots, and Moonlight Market. You ladies are going to love Lourdes. She gives us a lot of information about how she started, um, even her university days, some tips on time management and how she does it all, some self-care tips, every, everything. So ooh, it's a really good conversation. But of course, we have to have our little girl talk over some drinks. Cheers, Lindy. Cheers, Isabel. Whoop, whoop. That is such a cute drink and it matches our outfits today. Ooh, we did not coordinate this, but but we're both wearing pink, so we're both pretty in pink. And my drink is a pink iced tea, so how fitting. No. Oh. <laughs> and I have a coffee today in my special mug, which I says, I woke up like this, and that is a lie, because this took an hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I woke up like this, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yes, kidding. Well, some of us have the budget for eyebrows and eyelashes and <laughs> lips and everything. <laughs> well, I wear magnetic lashes for our podcast. And then as soon as it's done, I just take them off. So that's genius. Easy. It's just the magnetic liner you put on like an eyeliner and then the eyelashes just stick right onto them. It's actually pretty amazing. If you, you need a good quality magnetic eyeliner because I did buy a cheaper quality one before and the eyelashes just don't stick for too long on them or it doesn't stick to your eyelid properly. So I really like these ones because I used to be an eyelash and glue type girl, the strip lash glue type. Um, but that is just, it pulls on my regular lashes. It's so hard to wash off. So I think I found a good alternative. Oh, that is so, that's such a good idea. I, I see their commercials all the time and there are actually a few companies already. So I have to, I have to check them out. The, the one I like to use, I have tried a few. We're not sponsored by any of these companies, obviously, but this one is called Glamnetic. It's about like, I think $50 per set of lashes. And then the the magnetic eyeliner is about like another $50. So it is a little investment, but they're like reusable. I've used these ones already a, a lot and you can't even tell. And you can't, it doesn't get crudded up with all the glue and you're not like scrubbing your eyes late at night trying to get all the glue off. And it's just reusable so much more than the old typical type of, yeah, I'll have to look into it. I love the idea. Yeah. And it doesn't stick to, it doesn't make your eyelashes sticky. Cause normally with the glue, I end up pulling out some of my regular lashes, but this is good because there's less cleanup and it just works so much better and they just come off so easy. So yeah, that's my beauty hack. Perfect for podcasting. Anything else new about you, Lindy? Um, besides my obsession with these magnetic eyelashes, what else is new? I'm going back to work in a few days. So that's going to be hectic because since I was closed for a month or so, I have full like 13 hour days. So I'm getting ready for the, the long work hours, but I'm also excited for the income to start rolling in again. So that. Yeah, really. So how do you keep your energy up in like the 13 hour days? That's ridiculous. 
Well, so when I set people up on the machine, I go into my other office and then that's when I can answer emails or I'd usually, if I do feel like I'm crashing, I have a Coke zero, which I don't like because of the aspartame, not aspartame, but whatever's in it. Um, I don't like those artificial sweeteners, but it does really pick me up because I'm really sensitive to caffeine. So a quick Coke zero will pick me up and I can also like lay down in between sessions too, because there's a bed in my office. Okay, that's such a good idea. If you have the means, have a bed in your office. Yes, Isabel. Do you have like a couch or something in your office? Um, yes, I do. You're right. And it's a futon, so it is a bed. <laughs> so, I mean, that's you too. And you're going back to work soon. Yes, I am. Oh my gosh. I'm still trying to figure out when, and then I have to let my supervisor know and my HR manager. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's uh, of course like feeling bad and already feeling the mom guilt of going back, but my, uh, my parents have graciously um, decided to help us out and take Isla in for the first year, um, especially during this pandemic, because they don't really want her to be, you know, a super spreader, super spreader Isla um, going to daycare. So yeah, that's, that's going to be a huge, huge, huge help. Um, and yeah, I should be going back in March. So, oh my gosh, it's, it's coming up real, real, real soon. What and <laughs> I did used to like nap during lunch hour when going to work. So if you could find like a good, like low key nap place at work, you know, during lunch hour, that's your time, right? So do it. Everybody's doing it. I totally agree. This should be a movement. I always promote naps during work hours. Yeah. And I mean, it only benefits the corporation afterwards in the afternoon because you're so much more alert and like motivated. I totally agree. So what is this mom guilt? Like you're already feeling it. Is this just being away from it? Cause you've been with Isla every day since she was born, obviously, cause you're on maternity leave. So how do you think it's going to be going back to work and not seeing her at all throughout the day? Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's literally going to like hurt. I have a pit in my stomach just thinking about it just from like not seeing her and not hanging out with her every day. And I can't believe I'm saying it because I mean, I am such a career woman and I was such like, you know, um, very just very focused on my career and I could not understand this mom guilt thing beforehand and I'm like okay big deal go back to work go back to work in like six months what's the big deal um when the baby's six months old but now that I'm actually in that position you really don't understand until you're a mom so sorry moms out there for like judging you <laughs> in the beginning because now I'm in this situation and all the little youngsters 25 year old ambitious little boss babes are like yeah just go back to work no it's not that easy you know you have a baby it's like your whole life you love the little thing and you don't want to you don't want to spend the day without without the little thing so um yeah yeah theoretically because obviously I don't have children yet I would assume that you would be excited to get away from a crying baby all day. But I guess throughout the year you build that bond and it's just like your hearts are just so uh, tightly attached. It's going to be hard to leave. Yeah, I know. So I'll have to let you know how, how that goes when I start again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But you know, I'm like looking forward to it. I'm not, I'm uh, a little, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go back and see like everybody virtually. I'm really hoping we still do remote work because that would be really nice now we need like an office makeover downstairs in our house here um yeah lots of lots of things to look forward to otherwise 
Well, I guess we can uh, just get into our interview uh, before we first hear a word from our sponsors. Attention new moms and moms-to-be. Looking for Canadian fashion made for the modern woman and made by a team of modern women who actually know what you're going through? I give you Malou. Malou Collection creates small batch, ethically made women's clothing to meet the challenge of being a modern woman. Their garments are designed to be versatile, feel special, and are soft on the skin. Think premium quality basics that take you from day to night, can be dressed up or down, and can be used through pregnancy and beyond. I absolutely love their clothing. I have the Veronica dress, which is a sleeveless, knee-length, tight black dress, and it is so comfortable, so versatile, and nursing-friendly. I mean, I use it for every occasion during pregnancy and even today while I'm still nursing. Seriously, I use it for going out for a nice dinner with my hubby when pregnant with some nice thigh-high boots. I use it for brunch with my baby with some espadrilles. And I use it for church with a tan blazer on top. Its bamboo tensile material is so soft and luxurious, you won't want to take it off. Each item is made in Calgary, Canada with fabrics that are easy on the environment and Malou integrates sustainable practices throughout their supply chain. Find out more at maloucollection.com, that's M-A-L-O-U collection.com, and follow them on Instagram at maloucollection. We are back with Lourdes Juan, founder of Soma Hamam and Spa, Hive Developments, Leftovers Foundation, Fresh Roots, and Moonlight Market. Born and raised in Calgary to Filipino immigrant parents, whoop, whoop, Lourdes Juan graduated from the University of Calgary with a master's in environmental design. This multi-passionate founder and CEO has been awarded L'Oreal's Women of Worth and Avenue Magazine's Top 40 Under 40, has been featured in multiple media outlets, including Al Jazeera, and is a wife, a dog mom, and a future baby mama. Welcome to Prosecco Party Podcast, Lourdes! Thank you so much for having me. Now that you mentioned Prosecco, I am envious of everyone who's having a Prosecco and listening or watching this because I haven't had one in about seven months. <laughs> What's your first drink going to be once you're allowed to? Oh my goodness. I don't know. You know, I've been really craving Moscow mules. I used to love, um, I just miss going out to restaurants, I think. So it would be nothing that I would make at home or drink at home. I want to like go out to a restaurant and <laughs> want to just have a nice cocktail. I guess that is when you have time to do so because you're such a busy woman. Um, so I guess we'll just get right into it. So where did you grow up and did you always know that you would be an entrepreneur? Of course. Yeah. So I grew up here um, in Calgary. I was actually born in St. Albert, Alberta, which is just um, uh, near Edmonton. But we moved to Calgary when I was like less than six months old. Um, and so I consider myself uh, a Calgarian and I grew up here. I went to high school here. I went to university here. And so this is certainly home. Um, you know, when I was growing up, my my dad opened up uh, an engineering consulting company after he graduated from his um, from his undergraduate. Uh, he worked corporate for a bit and then opened up his own company. So I certainly grew up around um, an entrepreneurial father um, who had his office in the basement and then 
um, just like how every entrepreneur starts out uh, and then watched him grow his business over time and, and watched my mom, um, you know, work um, odd jobs and, and corporate jobs and whatever we could do to get by. So I don't know if I always thought I would be an entrepreneur, but I certainly, uh, it certainly was part of my upbringing. Can you go into that a little bit more, Lourdes? Your mom worked three jobs. Your father actually went back to school here in Canada after he moved to become an engineer. And then he opened up his consulting firm. Um, How did that affect your ambitions and your life today? Yeah, so, you know, my parents, um, like the generation above us, um, were typically married in their early 20s. Um, And so my dad, I think, was working at a Boston pizza. Um, My mom and dad immigrated here separately, of course. They met in Edmonton. But my dad was 13 uh, when he immigrated to from the Philippines to Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, And so when they moved to Alberta, or when they moved to Edmonton, and then they met, um, I think it was like the story goes within a, they met at West Edmonton Mall or something. And within a year, they were married. Um, a, A year or two and married and pregnant with my older sister, Portia. Um, and so, you know, they didn't really have the opportunity to do a lot of post-secondary. And I think that is the story of many immigrant parents from the from the older generation, um, that they just had to work as much as they could to put food on the table. And so uh, while my dad uh, went back to school, we were really young. Like I remember going to um, the UCalgary campus here when I was, you know, four, five, six years old with my dad um, and then going to pick up my mom from her various jobs, um, which were, she was a nurse's aide. She worked at a grocery store so we could get a discount on groceries. Um, And then she worked at a couple care homes. So, you know, I certainly, I think, you know, a really strong work ethic was really instilled in me at a really young age. Like I've never really been afraid of the work because we were always on the go with my parents um, when we were young. So they were making um, a go of living in Calgary and um, had a lot of family support. Um, And so I think that, you know, in terms of how it affected my ambitions or life, it was examples, I think, um, growing up, uh, you, you see yourself in those examples and I think for me, I've just never been afraid to embrace any of the hard work that's kind of come my way. And I've haven't really said no to anything either. And definitely an entrepreneurial type lifestyle, you're going to be putting in more hours than a typical job, which some people think you put in less hours, maybe eventually once you have a whole bunch of people working for you, but definitely does take a lot of work ethic. And you mentioned that you did go to school here in Calgary. So Along those lines, there's a trend right now of people being against kind of going to university um, if they want to be an entrepreneur. So do you think university is the right path for aspiring entrepreneurs? And so I guess, do you feel like university was worth it in your personal experience? So for me, you know, I really enjoyed my university experience. Um, I... I went to Bishop Carroll High School, which is um, self-directed studies. And so I never really, you know, got to 
got to really be in the peer high school environment that I think um, everyone else kind of went through. And so you would go to Bishop Carroll, you would pick up your units, you could work from home or you could study from home, you could work from the school. Um, And there was a lot more flexibility. Like we didn't have classes. It was all self-directed study. And so I think when I got to university, I actually craved that peer, um, that peer process that, Um, post-secondary education kind of takes you through. So I joined the Filipino Students Association. I met other peers. I met other, um, you know, people from different faculties through that organization. I became president of that organization at one point. So I I tried to stay pretty involved because I I really did, really do love talking to people. And I, and I really sort of, I guess, missed that um, in a high school experience. You know, and I don't think that university is for everybody. I, I don't think post-secondary is for everybody. But if I could give advice to entrepreneurs that are starting out, I would say that, you know, the you have to have experience that comes from somewhere. You do not know it all when you first start. And even if you, I had a master's degree when I first started my first business and I still didn't know what I was doing. And so I feel like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be university, but I think you do have to immerse yourself in some type of experience where you have mentors, where you have peers, and where you can really, um, you know, kind of learn from everybody, listen more, talk less, um, so that when you decide to take the leap into entrepreneurship, you're far more equipped um, to, to do so. Um, and I think, you know, we, I, I say this all the time, but we kind of do the entrepreneurial community a disservice when we say that um, it's the best life or it's like a, a really good path to kind of go down because, you know, along the same line of thinking that university isn't for everyone, entrepreneurship isn't for everyone either. Um, and I think that people really need to take a hard look at the lifestyle uh, that they want long term. Um, and and what they want to do and, and what they're passionate about. That's really good. Entrepreneurship isn't in it for everyone. Going to university isn't for everyone. I love how you said that, you know, even though university isn't for everyone, it's a good place to make networks and learn things um, along the way. Um, so as an entrepreneur, Lourdes, you have started so many organizations that are still operating today. Can you tell us in a nutshell what inspired you to start your businesses, Soma Hamam and Spa and Hive Developments? And also tell us what inspired you to start your nonprofits, the Leftover Foundation, uh, Fresh Roots and Moonlight Market. Wow, this is a loaded question. (laughs) It's a lot, I know. You know, okay, so I'll unpack it per um, venture, I guess. Um, That'd be great. I started... um, gosh, I can't remember now. It's been like 11 years. I think it was Hive Developments first. Um, So I had been working actually at an architecture firm because Bishop Carroll was self-directed. I was actually able to do a co-op position at an architecture firm when I was in grade 10. Um, And I was younger than everyone um, because my birthday's in February. And so um, I actually was 14 when I started working at this architecture firm. So I was doing, you know, filing and gluing carpet samples to foam core and doing ammonia printouts and just kind of like that, you know, fun at the time, I I really enjoyed it, grunt work um, of an office. 
Um, and, and I was really fortunate because I, I really uh, gained some mentors there that are still my mentors today, you know, 22 years later. Um, and, uh, and I was able to stay there till I was 26. And so I had a career at that architecture firm for 12 years. Um, and they would kind of hire me back and forth um, doing different projects and different roles and responsibilities throughout my um, throughout my studies um, through high school and then through uh, university. So um, that company eventually got bought out by a construction company and um, I had a master's in urban planning and it didn't quite fit. Um, and so they actually, you know, let me sort of take clients and uh, me and my mentor opened up our, our own companies and that's kind of how Hive Developments came to be. And then even then I, I worked with my mentor for the next two to maybe the next three to four years. We worked on projects together. Um, and then I decided to uh, eventually um, try to get my own projects and, and give it a go and, and do things on my own. So Hive Developments now is, I guess it's 11 years old this year. Um, and it's a consulting company and, and we focus on urban planning and um, community consultation. And that really speaks to my professional background in city building. Uh, and then, so that was incorporated, I think, like May 2010. And then that same year, something must have just been in the air, but um, I had been working at a, talk about my mom having three jobs. <laughs> I also had three jobs and went to school. Um, and I, I worked at um, a Medispa that was really injectable focused and I was just sort of doing reception, but um, again, really grateful for the owner of that um, business because she, you know, was, was able to um, work with me and she put me through some um, uh, medical aesthetic training classes. And so I became um, certified to work um, cosmetic laser machines. And so I did that also while I was in school and working at the architecture firm. Uh, and then, you know, I think I just had um, a different philosophy on about self care and, um, you know, what I thought would be uh, a really good uh, way to take care of yourself long term. And, and for me, it, the injectable um, business didn't resonate, although it's an incredible business. Um, I wanted to do something that was just more aligned to my, my values and, and um, my sort of self-care approach. And that's when Soma Hamam and Spa um, was born. And it wasn't Soma Hamam and Spa when I first started. It had the most ridiculous name and it was um, inside my house. And then I eventually moved it to a downtown location. It became Soma. And then also had a ridiculous long name, but was still called Soma. And then again, moved it, um, our third iteration is, um, we moved it to the Marriott Hotel in Seton, uh, where we've been for the last five years. And that's been um, a lovely experience working with uh, the team that we have out there um, and the, the sort of self-care approach. Uh, so we don't do injectables, we don't do uh, laser aesthetics at all. Um, but we do uh, really promote self-care and, and taking the time for yourself to, to, to go to the spa and, um, and relax for a bit. And, and one of the treatments that, 
you know, I was really passionate about when I took myself on a global spa tour <laughs> was a treatment in, in Istanbul uh, when I went there um, in Turkey and, and it was called a hammam and it's sort of the very roots of what a spa is supposed to be and that sort of um, well, back then it was very much about communal bathing and gathering and taking the time uh, to to get together and to uh, reflect and and really bathe yourself. Um, and that kind of turned into a hammam treatment, which uh, basically tries to scrub the demons out of your body, <laughs> which is um, we modified it for Canadian standards. So it's not as aggressive as if anyone has ever had a hammam um, before. It's a, it's a bit aggressive, but we've modified it. And so it's a I, I built out a seven foot stone table that's heated. Uh, and so we perform a body wash um, and then uh, a full body exfoliation, a scalp massage, um, and then a body butter application. And so it really is that 75 minutes, that's just you. Um, and, and, you know, for me, I think, because I'm, I, I can be so busy, I don't like using that word, but my schedule can be so full, um, that I think it's important to make sure to take time to yourself. And so that's sort of the premise behind SOMA. Um, you have to tell us what the super long, ridiculous name was in the very oh my beginning. Goodness. Okay. So in, out of my home, actually I was, I partnered with a dental office. I totally forgot about that. And I was doing treatments out of her dental office. Um, anyways, it was called Calgary cosmetic clinic CCC. And then when we moved downtown and I was like, okay, I really need to brand this properly. And Calgary cosmetic clinic is not a brand. Um, I, it was Soma Advanced Skin and Body Therapy. And I remember, so I met my husband doing a podcast. Uh, so our first conversation is recorded, which is super awkward now, and I can't listen to it. But That's I remember, so sweet. yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, but I remember, you know, one of the highlights of that conversation was he was just clowning me for these like ridiculously long names on my businesses. Um, and so it was called Soma Advanced Skin and Body Therapy because at the time we were doing a laser aesthetics. Um, and then I sort of have, you know, tweaked that business to now just be Soma Hamam and Spa. And it's got a record of running with that name for five years. I think we'll stick with it. <laughs> That's not the old ones aren't that bad. I was expecting something like, I don't know, something like the old usernames that you'd see on MSN or something. I'm sure I had a couple of bad of those ones too, but um, uh, yeah. And then I guess a few years after that, I opened up um, the Leftovers Foundation, which is now a charitable organization that operates in uh, Alberta and Manitoba, which is crazy to me because it started off with just me and my vehicle picking up bread and dropping it off at the drop-in center. Um, but we redirect about 10,000 pounds, more than 10,000 pounds of food a week from different restaurants, grocery stores and bakeries. And we get that food to service agencies or we upcycle it or we come up with creative ways of repurposing food so that it doesn't end up in the landfill. Um, and that really started because I just saw the sheer amount of food that was going to waste at a, at a bakery. And, you know, I want to, in a nutshell, it was sort of right place, right time. But I, I really wanted to 
do something about food waste. And, and when we took it to the drop-in center that night, I really distinctly remember the, um, the gentleman who took in the food said, you know, thank you so much. We serve 3000 meals a day. This is going to be gone by tomorrow. And, you know, I think my entrepreneurial problem solver hat really was sort of turned, turned on. And, and um, I thought, you know, there's probably other bakeries that waste food. I don't know if this is a problem. Maybe there's other shelters that could use food. You know, we could really make a movement out of this. And, and that's how it started. And, um, it's today, I think, eight years later, uh, one of Western Canada's largest um, food rescue organizations. Um, so I'm super proud of the, the work that the team does there. And it sort of um, never dawned on me that that would ever actually um, do what, it, what it's doing today. That's um, amazing. And you yeah. also have Fresh Roots, which is in the food sort of uh, theme as well. Yeah, I mean- And Moonlight Market, which is also food themed. Right, it just kind of snowballed. I just started really appreciating our food system and trying to find ways to fix it. Um, But Fresh Roots um, started as as a pilot program out of the Leftovers Foundation. And really the goal behind it was just to get households access to food and to healthy food, pardon me. And and what we were seeing with leftovers is that the donations were going straight to service agencies, but there were households who were food insecure that, you know, weren't part of an agency or could afford food one week and and couldn't afford food the the next. And um, I really uh, worked with social workers at the city of Calgary and, you know, learned that um, some of these households are low income seniors they're seniors who live alone. They're um, immigrant families, um, not unlike you know mine growing up. Um, they are post-secondary students, um, so people in university where food security is just very invisible, um, and they're indigenous communities. And you know, once you, I guess, learn that the world isn't flat, um, you just can't look back and and that sort of um, that sort of took off and so the idea was that we bring healthy affordable food at an at a at a cost so not for free but um, that we would sell healthy food into these different communities and we would identify the communities based on if they were in a food desert so lack of a grocery store or you know anything affordable um, or if they were sort of those communities that I listed. And uh, we went from, you know, six markets or eight markets a month to, to I think, 60 in, in um, the course of nine months or something like that. So the scale was there and, and we could see the growth. Um, and, and so Fresh Roots now is, um, so it's, it's, was Calgary's. Um, first mobile grocery store. Uh, so we retrofitted uh, City of Calgary transit bus. We take that out um, and people can hop on the bus, grab groceries. And then uh, we have trucks on the road as well. And, and we just try to line up communities that could use food. Um, you know, my favorite part of Fresh Roots is that it really uncovered this sort of food dignified model is what I'll call it. And and that really is about affordability. So um, people can access the food, if, even if they have financial barriers. Um, it shows up right at your doorstep. So it's accessible physically. Um, there's no proof of income, which I think is, is a really important part of food dignity. 
you know, the, the three of us, when we go to a grocery store, and I use this analogy often, when we go to a grocery store, we're never asked how much we make so that we can purchase food. Um, so I don't know why we're asking that of low income communities. Um, and so we, we remove that barrier, you can shop there. If your household makes a million dollars a year and you can shop there if you're low income. And part of that community piece of bringing people together from all different walks of life that normally, you know, wouldn't even interact, I think is, is part of food dignity and it's part of coming together around our basic need. Um, so Fresh Roots has been uh, two years now, I guess, and then Moonlight Market. I mean, this is just a fun little project that my friend and I started. Actually, my friend that I met through the Filipino Students Association, we have a we have a tight knit group of friends there. And, um, you know, his why or his purpose was he really wanted an Asian street food night market in Calgary. We didn't have one that really did, you know, that even came close to the Richmond night market. Um, and, you know, for me, and I think for him, it was about sort of, you know, bringing culturally appropriate food and, and culturally diverse food um, to, to, a street market style of, of event. But for me, with my urban planning hat on, it was really about programming some of these really beautiful spaces that the city of Calgary's created, like East Village. Um, and we were looking at Stephen Avenue one time, we were looking at Eau Claire, we have these lovely open spaces that just, you know, could use more programming. And so for me, I, I really took an interest in making sure that these spaces um, just had cool stuff on them. And so um, Moonlight Market pre-pandemic, uh, we did three, so it's one a year, it's just once, um, but we have thousands of people come out and watch cultural performances and eat food on a stick. Couldn't really ask. We really that. hope that you get to open this year. That sounds amazing. And I'm sad that I've never gone to it before. Yeah, I really hope we do. Um, I'm not sure, but um, it if not this year, next year. We're in no rush and we just we still want people to be safe, but we do miss um, gathering and eating and <laughs> all, all of the things pre-COVID. Wow, that's so amazing. And I guess when you look back, how does it feel to know the sheer amount of people throughout the years that you've helped feed? Yeah, you know, I don't, it's tough. Like it's, I, I don't really take time to reflect on it. Um, like, I know that sounds weird, but um, I think when you're just so head down and you're so immersed in the work, um, you kind of take it you need to kind of take those things for granted that sometimes you just need to step back and, um, and really, you know, appreciate it. I will say, you know, the team that is assembled at Leftovers and Fresh Roots, like these sort of food security initiatives, um, don't come from food security backgrounds and, <clears throat> you know, don't come from the not-for-profit sector for the most part. Um, they just, they come from all different backgrounds because, you know, I believe that it takes that community mobilization and, 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 you know, think tanks and brains from all different sectors to kind of tackle these, these wicked problems and, and these sort of really complex issues like food waste and food insecurity. And so I will say um, that I, I certainly hope that, you know, my team feels like I pat them on the back for the work that they do, because it's, it's, um, it's pretty remarkable what they accomplish. Well, the work that they do, also the work you do, it's 
pretty crazy all that you've accomplished. Um, so like, how do you actually do it? Is there one strategy or tool that you use that allows you to do it all and have it all? I mean, I feel like there's a million tools <laughs> that I use <laughs> because I have to. Um, yeah, you know, like I think that there are general, you know, my husband always says, this is his biggest compliment <laughs> to me is like, you're the best at time management. Like no one else does time management better than you. Um, so I do think it's a bit of that. Like I've just conditioned myself since I was 14 or whatever it was to really track my time, be really efficient with it. But also, you know, I think that as your team grows and there's certainly been growing pains, um, uh, you really kind of learn how to put the right people in the right positions um, and work with that person to make sure um, that they are really, you know, loving what they do. And I think that's kind of where I like to spend a lot of my headspace and a lot of my time is making sure that the team is happy and, um, you know, they're able to, to do what they, what they love. Because if all those things are, are clicking, um, then the, then the organization works. And, and I, you know, that can be a development company, a spa or a mobile grocery store. Um, and it's just about having, you know, the right people on board. So, you know, I think that's, uh, that's been really successful, although that did take a, a ton of trial and error, I will say. For people who are just starting and who don't really have a team, what are some tools or hacks or tips mm. for time management? Some, maybe something that you use or do you use an app? Yeah, well, we use like what everyone else does with Slack and Google calendars and all that kind of stuff. You know, one of my um, favorite things that I learned, I, I can't remember where I read it, but I really started to implement it was I sort of theme my days, um, which sounds kind of silly when you say it out loud. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I try not to, uh, you know, I, I sort of set rules around my schedule. So I never will take a meeting on a Monday. <clears throat> it's a time where I need to figure out, digest my week. Um, I never want to feel rushed on a Sunday. Sunday's very family day for me. Um, and I never want to feel like, okay, on Sunday, I have to look at my calendar and plan out my week. Um, because that just distracts from, you know, quality family time. So I try to leave Mondays fairly open. Um, so that it's just me and my computer and my schedule and I can kind of figure things out. And if my team needs me, I'm there for them at the beginning of the week. And I'm not feeling like they're bugging me and they're not feeling like I'm bugging them <laughs> throughout the week. Um, so it kind of uh, has been working really well. Um, you know, and then I'll, I'll take meetings Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I won't take anything, you know, after four o'clock or after 3.30. I like to, my husband's a teacher, so when he comes home, I like to decompress and chat about, you know, our days. And so I think that there are, you know, you have to find the routine that works for you. Um, and for me, that has, that has really worked. Um, and, you know, pre-pandemic, Fridays was my go out and get a coffee and try to bump into people and, um, you know, run errands. And um, that was sort of how I liked to, to schedule my week. But that might look different for other people. I just find that time blocking for me really works. And so I'll never book a meeting at one and then four and then six. 
it will be 1, 130, 2, 230, and 3. <laughs> and then I'll have the rest of, you know, the morning or, or the afternoon um, to really do whatever I need to do. And, and that was a trick I think I learned when I was writing my thesis and working full time. I actually had to like take time off work because there was no way I was working nine to five and then um, coming home and, and trying to write something that made sense. And so I remember that my supervisor said, take the weekend or take a week off work and you'll get so much more done in a week than you will kind of, you know, spreading your time out in different places. You really have to focus. Um, That's a really good tip, time blocking and, that's something I really need to work on myself. And also self-care. You mentioned having a self-care philosophy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And unfortunately, today our spas are still closed but at the time of this recording. Um, do you have any tips on how we can have a spa-like experience at home? Yeah, of course. So um, <clears throat> I love the five minutes that I take to myself before bedtime. Um, I have a lineup of like 30 different creams um, that go on different inches of my face and body. Um, I love the little gadgets, like the little um, jade rollers and stones and all that stuff. I buy into all that stuff because it honestly forces me to just, you know, play with them <laughs> like and figure them out before bed. Um so I do think like self-care is important, um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a three hour bath. It can be, you know, a, taking that extra five minutes before bed um, or extra five minutes in the morning, whatever works for you. But I think that, um, you know, five minutes out of your entire day is not that much. Um, and so if you're doing at home care, I suggest just getting you know, some good product, good local product is what I like. Um, and, and just taking the time to, to, to with that product and, um, you know, really exploring it. And for me, I, I love all the different scents and all the different oils. And I love reading about, um, you know, where to, how to apply a cream and, and what finger to use to apply that cream. <laughs> and like, I just, I love doing all this stuff because it, it makes me um, take that time to myself. Very good tips. Um, is there any advice for budding entrepreneurs out there? I really love the idea of, um, of when entrepreneurs test things. First of all, I think the, the, the best advice I can give an entrepreneur is if you're going to start a business or start anything, make sure you're, you're solving a problem. And so you're, um, you know, you're really speaking to um, a demographic where, um, you know, you feel like you're, you're able to. Um, I think problem solving is such a huge part of entrepreneurship. Um, and then I'm a really big fan of like testing and piloting and, you know, not going sort of, you know, spending $150,000 on renos and, and stressing yourself out. I think that, you know, there's a really good um, opportunity, especially in Calgary, um, for for people to test things and, and to really pilot them and, and take the time. Um, you don't need to be an entrepreneur the same, you know, don't need to call yourself an entrepreneur the same day you quit your job. Um, you know, it's something that you have to do over time and, and it's, it's a journey. It's not 
um, it shouldn't be like that label. It should be really that journey for you. So I would say um, take the time, test it out, um, you know, be really flexible, get a peer group, listen to podcasts, like whatever it is um, that makes you feel like you can take that next step and that you're, you're very well piloted. Um, I think that it, you'll be much better served long term. Perfect way to end the show. Thank you so much, Lourdes. Please tell us where we can all find you online. Sure. So um, I set up a website. I think all the links are there. It's uh, lourdeswan.com. And then all of the other links to my organizations, a contact form, and all of my social media is on there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that is all for our show today. Thank you for tuning into Prosecco Party Podcast. And thank you to Lourdes for being on our show. Yes, make sure to check out Lourdes online. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prosecco Party Podcast. And follow us personally on Instagram, Lindy at Miss.HealthNut and Isabel at Isabel Valoria. Please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, life is short, so join the party. Cheers.